0: You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message.
1: My favorite movie line is from the 1970s version of, um, of Jaws. It is, um, it is at the first sighting of the Great White Shark, where Chief Brody goes to Captain Quinn and says, we're going to need a bigger boat. (laughs) Favorite of all time. I remember watching that movie when it came on TV, sitting on the couch by myself in the living room of our house, scared to death. It was the scariest thing I'd ever watched, but that line has always stuck with me. We're going to need a bigger boat. So today, that's what I want to attempt to do. Today, I want to attempt to build us a bigger boat in our biblical understanding of pain. Our biblical understanding of pain. Pain doesn't have to derail hope. It can define it and refine it, all right? So if empty is an illusion, how can an an illusion cause pain? It was a thing I had to answer in the book, and I have to answer to you. If empty is an illusion, then how can an illusion hurt? Here's the differentiation. Empty is an illusion because Christ is present. So that makes it not empty. But the pain of situations that we find ourselves empty in, they still hurt. That hurt is real. Okay. The difference is, since we're not alone in that hurt, we have someone present that can carry and walk us through that pain. You with me? So empty is an illusion, but pain still hurts. And I think we've got to build a bigger theological boat and understanding of pain. Because if you're not careful, what we end up believing is that if I hold my mouth right and do everything right, then I won't experience any pain. And so then when pain comes, then I'll either say, I've done something wrong. Or if I see you in pain, well, they must, have, they must be reaping the consequences of something they did. Or somehow we believe God has taken a siesta, right? That he is somehow um, uh, not observant enough to realize that I'm in pain. Either he can't do anything about it or he doesn't know that it exists, right? So if we don't have a good biblical understanding of pain, we will live our lives in constant kind of stiff-arming God or stiff-arming ourselves. And that's what I want to try to do today. Um, Listen, pain gets introduced when Adam and Eve sin. When Adam and Eve choose to take on their own path and their own ways, then pain gets introduced into this story. But listen, pain gets introduced in our story, but so does redemption. All right, because Genesis is the earliest promise of a Messiah coming. So that yes, pain came through the decision of one couple and yet we all experience life because pain came to another individual as well. It is a redeeming story. It's not just a story of pain and yet pain is still a part of the story. So, So listen here, life is lived and learned in the presence of pain, not in the absence of pain. So we all need a better understanding of pain. I, I know that generally we want to live our life to go from point A to point B in the safest, fastest possible way, right? This is how we map our life out. Anybody lived enough life to figure out there's a whole lot between A and B, right? And, and so, so having a good understanding of this is very, very important. Um, all right, Job is one of the most recognized names in history, yet decades after decades, parents bypass that name For their little boys. So Job means in Hebrew, he who weeps or persecuted. So I get that. But in 2023 so far, according to babycenter.com, Job is the 6,000th and 63rd most popular boy's name chosen. So it's way down on the list. But the good news is it's up 2,782 spots from last year. It's climbing. Its most popular year was 1891. That's when it peaked at 901. Um, Noah is also a, a Bible name, and it's never been out of the top five in the last 10 years, so Noah and Job, they have this kind of thing working, and yet, and yet I know why, I read this really cool article, why I gave you that, those you know, stu- stupid, stupid facts, but I, I, read a, I read a great article in the presence of, that, of, of, a, of a woman defending why she named her son Job. And it was amazing because she said, yes, we understand Job maybe as this, this, uh, this persecuted individual, but, but how Job ends is the redeeming part, right? Because under what seems to be excruciating, unmeasurable kind of pain, he perseveres and ends faithful and full of years. You know, any pregnant ladies as we consider Job maybe um, coming up? All right, so um, here's how the story Works We find this in Job 1.1. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright, and he feared God. So there was a reverent awe of God, and he shunned evil. Pretty good resume. He was uh, blameless, upright, feared God, and shunned evil. So at no point in this story would Job have ever reflected back on his life and said, well, I deserve that, Right? So here's where we pick up the story in verse 6 of chapter 1. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. Can't explain it. I'm just reading it. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one, no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. God's bragging on Job. "'Does Job fear God for nothing?' Satan replied. "'Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? "'You've blessed the work of his hands, "'so his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. "'But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, "'and he'll surely curse you to to your face.' "'The Lord said to Satan, "'Very well, then everything he has is in your power, "'but on the man himself do not lay a finger.' "'And then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord.' Man, doesn't it always, I just every time I read it, it's decades after decades after decades reading that. I just say, God, please not me, <laughs> right? But God singles out Job because of his faithfulness. Satan says, well, yeah, everything to do touch turns to gold. Take that away and watch what he does. So, so Satan's perception of Job and of us is that we are more focused on God's performance than we, are, than we are on his purposes. And so that was the challenge. Strike everything Job has and watch and see what he does. Well, so the question which I just posed, but I have to ask myself when I read this, is if am I more tied to God's performance than I am his purposes? It's, a, it's, it's really a good question to ask yourself. And this might not be the best time to ask it. You should write it down and ask it the next time you get mad at God, right? All right, so in less than 24 hours, Job loses his seven sons. He loses his three daughters. Um, and then everything that would have, especially in that era of time, that made him wealthy, all his livestock, gone. 24 hours. Here we have Job's response in verse 20. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, fell to the ground in what? In worship. He fell to the ground in worship and said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Wow. Um, I don't want you to because it's tough to lose the emotion of the passage. He doesn't just bypass this. He just doesn't turn a page because it says that he um, tore his robe, shaved his head and sat in ashes. So this is a significant expression of anguish that he's going through, right? So he's just not blowing, blowing anything off. We just don't be able, we're not in the moment to kind of experience what that would have been like to have that kind of agony. Um, and all this Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing listen so often in hardship we look for someone to blame as if making as if it would make the pain and suffering easier it doesn't especially if the person we blame is the only one of only one capable of refilling our empty i don't know what it is with humanity that we are so obsessed with fair we want something fair and we're a culture that does not believe in any absolute truth, which makes fair always a moving target. So fair is always gonna be defined by how we define fair in the moment. Well, this isn't fair. And when anything goes to the contrary of what we're doing, that would be something that, that we all will internalize or say out loud, well, this wasn't fair, right? And so that is, that, is, that is framing all of God's activity and all of life through that framework of me or his performance and not his purpose. Pastor, what kind of purpose could God have with pain? We'll, we'll get to that. Here's round two. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, hey, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless, upright, a man who fears God, shuns evil, and he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, he's in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. And I hate that the story gets worse before it gets better. Um, it's still a gut punch. But I believe the book helps us have an accurate understanding of suffering and sovereignty. Personal pain and Suffering in the midst of God's sovereignty. Here's Job's conclusion was God can be trusted in all circumstances. And the question posed to each of us today is do you believe that? Do you believe that God can be trusted in all circumstances? Cuz if you believe that, how you live um, would demonstrate that. If you live like you believe this, how would that change your perspective of what you're in now and what's sitting next? See, belief isn't what I say. Belief is what I do. I can tell you all day long what I believe, and then if you watch what I do, that is the telltale of what I actually believe. And so if we believe that God can be trusted in all circumstances, then how does that affect how I deal with what I'm in now? How will it it impact what you do next? Okay. Um, So there's more. Job has four friends that show up. Four friends come and sit with Job in the ashes and they stay silent for seven days. This is a big deal, right? The best compliment someone could ever pay you is thanks for being there. I get more out of decades of pastoral service from hospitals to hospice to to all different kinds of things in between. I can't recall one time someone said, thank you for saying that. But I can remember countless times of thanks for being there. Right? So, so when you find yourself, a lot of times when, when, when we're engaged, we have someone in our life that's going through significant suffering or pain. There, there is a tendency to, to create distance between us and them because we don't know what to say. And yet, what, they, what, what will move the needle in their life is our presence. And so, if you, will re, if you will release this burden of what you can say, you will increase the value of your relationship in their life for, for being there. And can I, can I just say that no matter what you say, it's not heard very rarely in that moment because the pain is screaming too loud. Right? And so for the seven days that Job's friends sit with him in the ashes, this is a good thing. And then they open their mouths and it turns south quickly, right? Because after the end of the seven days, their conclusion to one of them, Job, it must be your fault. It's your fault. And so then Job spends his time, when you read a huge chunk of the book, he's spending his time combating their accusations towards him, Okay. So he it puts it puts him on the defensive if you are. And then it pushes him so far that he's been he's kind of fed up with God. And he starts turning his attention to God and starts saying, this is your fault. This is your fault. Have you been there? Has, have have any and I actually want to see hands you've you've been you've been in in enough pain and you've had enough honest conversations with God that you were angry and you were yelling at God and you were telling him something to the effect of it's his fault anyway okay can, can we see this this is can, can, can we see that this is a normal part of this process scripture is replete with people who had arguments with God that that decided that they had enough in the moment and they were going to have a discussion. And I don't read anywhere in scripture where he backs away from that or he's offended by that or bothered by that. But I do have to tell you this, (laughs) that tread lightly in in the blame game because blaming God doesn't bring you any closer to answers or to God. That in fact, it can create more distance. And here's what I mean. If Tyler and I have an issue and it's my issue, not Tyler's issue, we have an issue. And I begin building a wall between me and Tyler. Whose wall is it? It's my wall. Who's the only person can take this wall down? Me. Okay. God's not going anywhere. He's not, he's not heading for the hills. He's handled, he handles the hard conversations, not a problem with him, knows that we're in pain. He's with us in it. No problem. But if we get to the place where we're blaming him and building walls between him, that's going to be, we're going to have to circle back around and start taking that wall back down. Because he's the only one who can fill this empty we're in. All right, so the enemy wants us to get offended to the place where we start building a wall between the only person who can take care of this and take care of me. All right? So it's okay to be angry in the moment. It's okay to feel like you're under the weight of the world. It's okay to have just gut level emotional conversations with God because Job does all of that and yet he 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 doesn't he stops short, right? Of where of where this relationship is going to be hindered on his side, on his side, not God's side. So, he just lets God have it for a little while. And then the scary part here is God answers. And, and what I'll read to you is samples of what I, what I consider God's sarcasm. These are rhetorical statements. He expects no response. He says, hmm, okay, Job, where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Do you know the way to where light lives? That's my favorite one. Do you know where light lives? And where does the darkness reside? Can you take me to their places? Do you know the paths of their dwellings? Surely, Job, you know you were already born. Because Job has just spent all this time telling God how much he knew and how much God didn't know. How much better life would be if Job was in control than if God was in control? Been there. But yet we know from Scripture that his ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. And this is what God's bringing into question. Okay, Job, we've gone far enough, I've given you the opportunity, I've kind of raised it up a little bit, now let's settle down, let's settle down. And here he asked Job some questions that he wants answered. Verse chapter 4, he says, will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. And that Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy, how can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. And then after a period there, we go jump to chapter 42 and he says, then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak and I will question you and you shall answer me. Verse five. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. I think this is pretty significant. I, I had a working knowledge of who you were. And yet, in this most excruciating pain and suffering I'm in, I've actually seen who you were. I actually now are intimately connected to who you are, which begs the question, is it possible to fully understand the scope of God or at least better understand the scope of God outside of the times in which we are in pain and suffering? You see how God, God uses, will use pain and suffering in a manner that is a connecting piece between us and God, and yet what the enemy wants to do is take that very same thing and he wants to pervert that purpose because this is what he does, right? God creates, Satan perverts, God redeems. This is the pattern, all right? And so he wants to pervert that and God wants to redeem that in all of our lives. To understand the scope of who God is, we have to experience him in both abundance and scarcity. Satan wants to derail your hope in your pain. God can take that same pain and shape you and cement your trust and relationship with him. Would love there to be another process. But this is true to life and true to scripture. C.S. Lewis is one of the greatest Christian thinkers um, this century. Um, and some of you may know some of his works, like Mere Christianity, and, which is groundbreaking. He's written over 30 different books translated in over 30 different languages. But C.S. Lewis was very personally acquainted to pain. He lost his mother at an early age, and in doing so, then his dad emotionally abandoned him. He suffered from a respiratory illness as a teenager. He fought and was wounded in World War I, and finally had to bury his beloved wife. And so Lewis wrote of all this heartache in a lesser-known work, but I would encourage you to read it. It's called The Problem of Pain was he, what he wrote, The Problem of Pain, C.S. Lewis. And in this work, he penned this famous line. Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. That in your pain and my presence, then is like a megaphone to a deaf world. Now, the record of Job's life turns out, um, and I know know there's a lot to unpack here, but he has seven more sons, three more daughters, and everything is restored to him, so much so that the book of Job ends this way. Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation, and so he died old and full of years. So just like I said last week, there's a whole lot of life on the other side of forgotten. There's a whole lot of life on the other side of pain. Full of years. So I want to give you seven truths about pain, biblical truths about pain, that these are worth holding on to. The truth of scripture brings courage into the suffering that we experience. The first one in is Jesus himself experienced pain and flipped it. Jesus himself experienced pain. This is important to understand when we have to deal with our own pain. And it's out Isaiah 53. When I, when I wrote this chapter of the book, I encouraged people to stop their reading and to open a Bible app and listen to Isaiah 53. All right? So that's what we're going to do right now.
0: Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message? For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And made intercession for the
1: transgressors. Hmm. Very acquainted with pain. On our behalf. He experienced pain and he flipped it. Isaiah 53. The second is that pain has an eternal purpose. In John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man born blind. It's a pretty dramatic story, or, or at least um, he puts spits and dirt and makes um, some mud, puts it on the eyes of the blind man. And the disciples are pretty amazed by this. And, and, and it's like they tried to engage him in a deep theological um, conversation that they weren't equipped for. Um, they said, uh, So who sinned here? Was it him or his parents? And uh, again, when we, when we think about pain, we think, well, who did what wrong, right? And he's, his answer, Jesus' answer is, neither he nor his parents. This was so that the glory of God will be revealed. Like, who wants to sign up for that, right? And yet, and yet his purpose, or at least one of the purposes for that man to be blind from birth to age 40 was a demonstration of the glory and power of God. Pain has an eternal purpose. We have to trust his eternal purposes more than we trust our temporary experiences and empty places. Here's the third. Pain shapes hope. Pain shapes hope. Here's Romans 5. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, our confident expectation in the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. We also glory in our pain. We're gonna glory in the, in, the, in the glory of God. I'm sorry, we're gonna um, revel in this glory of God, but we're also going to do this in our pain because we know that pain produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character hope so hope is connected to pain and hope does not put us to shame because god's love has been poured out into our hearts through the holy spirit who has been given to us Um, the places that we find the most empty are the places where god can grow the most hope here's four four truths about pain pain has a weight and a time limit Here's 2 Corinthians 4, a variety of scriptures in that chapter. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show this all surpassing power is from God, not from us. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. So our suffering is producing life in others. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Then we jump to verse 17, where he kind of concludes the matter. And he says, for our light and momentary troubles... All right, so there's a weight limit, there's a time limit. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He, he is, he's not diminishing someone's pain. What he's putting it is in perspective to, to what's, what's available in Christ in glory. All right, so he calls them light and momentary. So here's what we got to do. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, what is unseen eternal. So that's four. Here's the fifth. I've only got 12. No, sorry, I got seven. I could have had 40. Um, when, when you start reading back through Scripture through a hope lens, oh my gosh, you just read the word all the time. Here's five pain taps Christ's strength, pain taps. Christ's strength. 2 Corinthians 12. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power, my strength, is made perfect in your weakness, in your pain. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, my pain, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, I'm strong. It's a matter of getting to a place where we start leaning and depending on someone other than ourselves. Christ. Here's six. We may sit in our pain, but Christ sits in us. We sit in pain, but Christ sits in us. Here's here's another kind of lengthy passage. Colossians 1, 3 through 6, and then... We'll jump to 24 through 29. Paul says, we give thanks to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we pray always for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, how you lean on him with absolute confidence in his power, wisdom, and goodness. Uh, Paul is bragging on the church in Colossae. He said, and of the unselfish love which you have for all the saints, God's people, because of the confident hope of experiencing that which is reserved and waiting for you in heaven. You previously heard this hope in the message of truth, the gospel regarding salvation, which has come to you. Indeed, just as the whole world, the gospel is constantly bearing fruit and spreading by God's power, just as it's been doing ever since the day you first heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, becoming thoroughly and deeply acquainted with it. And then later in that first chapter, he says this. Now I rejoice in my sufferings on your behalf. And with my own body, I supplement whatever is lacking on your part of Christ's afflictions on behalf of his body, which is the church. In this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship, which God entrusted to me for your sake, that I might make the word of God fully known among you. Fully known can we fully know without the experience of pain? He said, that is the mystery which was hidden from the angels of mankind for ages and generations, but has now been revealed to his saints, God's people. God, in his eternal plan, chose to make known to them how great for the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, Christ in and among you, the hope and guarantee of realizing the glory. I'll quote it fast up here for you many, many times. I'll say it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Out of the amplified, Christ in and among you, the hope and guarantee of realizing his glory. See, we, we sit in pain. Not one of us are exempt. We sit in pain, but Christ sits in us. Here's the last one. Pain isn't the end. Its end is blessing. James 5, Jesus' brother, by the way, writes You know, we call those blessed, happy, spiritually prosperous, favored by God, who were steadfast and endured difficult circumstances. You have heard of the patient endurance of Job, and you have seen the Lord's outcome, how he richly blessed Job. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy the first thing we jettison when we're in pain is believing that God is full of compassion and mercy and yet this is the blessing of God so here, here's all seven in a row Jesus himself experienced pain pain has an eternal purpose pain shapes hope pain has a weight and time limit Pain taps Christ's strength. We sit in pain, but Christ sits in us. Pain isn't the end. Pain's end is blessing. Your pain isn't an evidence that the place you're in is empty. Your pain is evidence that the consequences of sin are real. But praise be to God, his grace is greater than our pain. Psalm fifty-five twenty-two 22 says, cast your care on him for he will sustain you. Um, I know it's no secret by looking at me that I don't spend much time in a gym, um, but I have friends that do. <laughs> and um, when, when, when they're bench pressing without, not on a machine, but free weights and they're bench pressing, and they do so with free weights and there's no one there to spot them, their practice is not to put the, the caps on the end of the barbell to the hold, the hold the weights in place, right? And that's for a purpose. Because if it gets to a place where they cannot get the weight off of their chest, they'll lean and drop off the weights off one side of the bar, and then lean and drop the weights off the other side of the bar, and then they're released from the weight. The Hebrew there, cast, is better translated roll off, or lean into right so if it's like how can i cast off something i can't pick up right there's, there's no logic in that but what i can do is i can lean i can lean into christ and when i lean in him then he carries the weight with me it's the old poem of the footprints in the sand that you may be aware of right it, it, the poem goes like a conversation well I see two sets of prints on the sand of you walking with me, and yet when things got really, really hard, I only see one set—the response from God. Oh, that's when I carried you, right? The enemy wants you to feel alone in your pain, um, responsible for your pain, um, and if you can't, if you can't do those things, he wants you to blame God's indifference of your pain and yet scripture tells us the exact opposite he is not indifferent to our pain he has experienced pain on our behalf and has placed us as someone who is a high priest touched by the feelings of our infirmities who now sits at the right hand of the father forever making intercession for us he is intimately acquainted with this and there's hope because this pain is not the end And his strength is with you in the middle of it. Will you lean into that or be distracted and distorted by that pain? So the invitation this morning, we did this last week and it worked really well. If if you want to pray today outside of your seat, but you just kind of want to be by yourself on that, you come to this side of the altar. If you want to lean into someone else, you want someone that would be praying with you today, you come to this side of the altar. Someone will pray with you, put a hand on your shoulder. They may ask you, how can I specifically pray for you today? And you allow them to pray with you. And then we have communion on our left and our right. Um, And I know I've turned it into a cliche here, um, but the truth that I find all throughout scripture is that movement does matter. It's when we put our beliefs and practice, our, 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 um, uh, our actions in, uh, in congruence with our beliefs. And so God is here to meet with you today in your, in your pain. You might have thrown it off today, thinking it's going to be a, this was a respite, and that, that's the truth. You might have had to press it down to get here today, or maybe to tune in, or it may be the very reason why you are here. And God wants to meet you in the middle of that because there is hope with Christ there. So stand with me, I'm gonna pray, then I'm gonna invite you to move and then we will worship together through this process. Father, I thank you for our time today. I thank you for the depth and the richness of your word, which I believe carries more weight, Lord, than anything that we could ever put into our system. And today there's been word deposited into our system. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ in the room today. I pray for those that have come in hunched over in pain today trying to just hide it a little bit and yet they've come here to be able to meet with you in it. And so Father, I pray for that kind of hope to rise in their spirits today as we do what the body of Christ does best. We lend faith, we borrow faith and we link our faith together today. Do what only you can do in our lives in this moment, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. I invite you to move.
0: We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.